0: What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. So glad you're here. Thank you for making time to listen. On this episode, I brought on Coach Yema, who is a sexuality coach, not a sex coach. And she works with the LGBTQ plus community, mainly Christians, helping them make peace with their faith and their sexuality. This is a fascinating conversation that goes in places that I did not expect, but I'm glad we did. I'm going to tell you one thing. Hold this conversation with an open mind and hold space for it, because you might at first hear some things that make you go, oh my God, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Hang in there, hang in there. This is a very important conversation. Coach Game is doing some amazing work, has an amazing story, and I really appreciated her making time and coming on. So, I hope you enjoy this interview. As always, thank you so much for listening. By the way, if you want to join us for a live podcast extravaganza, you should do that. We're going to be in Chattanooga, Tennessee, December 16th. It's going to be me, Noah, our producer, Mad Priest Coffee, and April Joy, who's a great – um, tick and Instagram person who makes hilarious evangelical content. We're going to talk about a lot of things, including the fact that April dated an actual member from the power team. Don't ask me how we're going to find out. You can get tickets at the link in our show notes. It's going to be a great time. And by the way, if you can't make the event which if you can make it, you should, you can actually watch the event live. We're going to be live streaming it, so you can watch it right in the comfort of your own home. Tickets are at the link in our bio for all of that. I hope to meet you. I love meeting people from this community. I love shaking hands. I just love talking to folks. It just, it's so encouraging, and also it reminds me of why we do this work. We do it to hold space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church, and we just do our best to do that. So if you're here because of that, thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for engaging on social media, for being part of our Facebook community. And I hope to see you out at our live podcast event December 16th with me, Mike from Mad Priest Coffee, Noah, our producer, and April Joy. And also you can meet new friends, meet new people who you – Need to meet, because I hear this all the time. I just want friends. Well, great. Come out to this event, meet some friends. Let's do it. It'll be a great time. All right, my friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Yema. I hope you enjoy it. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a hard time picking up and reading a Bible because your faith tradition ruined it for you, but you want to approach the Bible in a fresh way? Bibliotheca is a Bible that invites you to engage with the text in a totally different way, the way its ancient readers would have experienced it. Unlike a typical reference Bible that looks and feels like a dictionary, these books look and feel like inviting literature. You get five cloth-bound volumes, no chapters or verse numbers, no cross-references, no notes. Bibliotheca is currently taking pre-orders for another print run, and if you order now, you'll get special early bird pricing. And guess what? Big news! Your purchase will support TNE, that's us, as well. Use the code TNE22 when you check out, and $20 of every pre-ordered set will go toward the work that we do here at TNE. That is a win-win. Again, visit bibliotheca.co or check the link in our show notes, and be sure to use the code TNE22 when you check out. Thanks. Well, Yema, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, your website is amazing. I'm gonna read like like the big bold lettering helping LGBTQ plus Christians make peace with their faith and sexuality. And here you are on the podcast talking to me. I'm honored. Uh thank you for making time. It means a lot.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on because as I was perusing your website, I'm like, wow. I meet a lot of people in the spaces that we are in who are – Maybe uh, coming out for the first time or who tell me, Hey, I've been really struggling with like trying to reconcile my faith and my sexuality. I don't know what to do about it. And you know, me being uh, a straight man, I don't have those tools, right? So I just say, Hey, I'm holding space. Here's a resource and we're here for you. So having you on the podcast is super helpful. And I think will help so many people. Before we dig into your work, I'm always curious who is Yema? I mean, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in in evangelical spaces? And how did you end up becoming, uh, you know, this person who is helping people making peace with their faith and sexuality?
1: Well, the first thing and most important thing about me is I am African. And so from my name, you can tell it's not an American name. That's my great grandmother's name. I'm from the country Liberia in West Africa. And so we migrated to the U.S., Uh, because of a civil war. And so that's my beginnings. And Liberia is the country that was formed when the enslaved Black people went back to Africa. And so that's my heritage. And so we grew up very much a Christian nation. I went to Christian schools. And so there was a general belief about God. I didn't even know there were different denominations. I just thought everybody believed in God, right? Um, and yeah. my family, I got baptized at the age of 17. My family very much are seven-day adventists. And so I got baptized into that church. And that's when I began to see maybe there's at least one difference that there are some Christians who go to church on Sunday who are definitely going to hell. And then we are the select who don't wear makeup, don't wear pants, don't wear earrings, don't eat shellfish and follow the Levitical laws. And we are the ones who are going to be safe. Thank you, Ellen G. White. And so that is how I grew up. And I, in the midst of that, my grandmother, um, who was and is still a very uh huge matron of faith in our family. She's gone along in transition now, but <clears throat> in Liberia, she raised over 400 kids. And in the in the things of, you know, we would say things of God. And yeah. so that faith in her, and I saw her relate to God outside of church. And so that was very instrumental for me and very influential. And so I saw her relationship with Jesus. And so when I was baptized, I started building a relationship with Jesus that didn't really rest in the church and me needing to go to church every day. It was getting up in the morning and spending time with Jesus and getting to know Jesus. And so that's how my faith. It was formed. And so I went through all of the things. I went to college and then I learned about maybe Jesus is just another higher state of consciousness. And so I went through all of that sure, and then had a traumatic event at 25 that really forced me to choose what I believed and to rest upon what I believed about God. And in that process, that's when I really got into the evangelical culture of purity culture, praying for your husband and not doing this and very fear filled relationship with God, um, ended up going to Colorado, um, in the Springs for Bible college. And so I just, in that process still, you know, we'll talk about the queer thing, but that's my process of relationship with God. It started just with me and Jesus. And I got really clear on who Jesus was. And then the white people started telling me who Jesus was and they started saying all these things on TV. And I was like, okay, well, it makes sense. It makes sense for them. And it kind of sounds good. So let me go ahead and ride that coattail for a little bit. And um, now I'm here and off the coattails and really helping people get to know God for themselves. So
0: help me. Okay. That's really, first off, I, I just want to say that, I'm um, I'm glad that you and I can share the experience of being like. Wait, I was taught that my tradition was the right ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, in my in my <laughs> tradition, the Seventh Day Adventists were the ones right. who were not true Christians. You know, because whatever That's you believe, that was just not the true gospel. So right. uh, I'm glad that you and I can can uh, commiserate over that experience together. <laughs> so you mentioned that okay, you have this amazing story. Uh, not growing up in the U S., you end up in Colorado Springs. Um, you know, at a, at a Bible college. And you said you, you, you rode the coattails. I guess we can say like white Christianity in America, something like that, white evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Then you got off it though. So what, Mm -hmm. what was that journey like for you of, of kind of going like, Oh, this is cool to like, actually, I'm not sure if this is really where it's at for me.
1: It was when I got introduced to the theology of the kingdom, um, to Miles Monroe, actually. And Miles Moore was very clear on how evangelicals preach about salvation and Jesus never spoke about salvation. That was the beginning of my deconstruction when I said, wait a minute, something's off here. And then in the environment that I worked in, it was the time of a lot of racial injustice in the news and the way that our teachers and leaders responded to it. There was a dissonance there. And so it was my eyes were beginning to be open to what I was surrounding myself. And because that culture was very much your identity first is a Christian. Then second, you're a black person in in the U.S. And that's not how I and all the other black students interacted with the world around us. Mm. And so it was that slow realizing that this gospel and this message, there are some biases in here that weren't communicated ahead of time. And now I'm being awakened to it. And it was even more impactful because I was in leadership and sitting at those tables and hearing people's views about how affirmative action should have never happened and seeing the humanity of people, um, not just sitting in the pews anymore, but sitting at the leadership table with them and seeing truth and seeing, um, I shouldn't say truth, but just seeing facts of, how real these people are and how they interact with their faith and what it meant for them and how it doesn't mean the same for me Hmm. and how me being a young black woman in leadership received different treatment than the other white males in my in my leadership team and how it was difficult for them to receive uh, because I was the head of HR so it was difficult for them to receive constructive advice from me or just me telling them what the law was that they had to go and check to make sure that they were reading it, reading it for themselves and couldn't trust me in my skin to say it. And so it was being all hyped up on Jesus. I'm, you know, I'm burned up for the Lord yeah. and I'm gonna praise and jump up and worship. And <laughs> yes, Bethel, and yes, let's soak, you know. <laughs> manifest
0: that glory, Cloud. You let's know?
1: <laughs> manifest the glory. And then I'm sitting yeah. at the table on a Monday morning, and there's not the glory's not here. Something yeah. else is happening. And then hearing Miles Monroe teach about, we've missed it because we've been teaching about salvation. Jesus didn't teach about salvation. Jesus was about citizenship and kingdom. And so then I began to say, well, that's interesting because I don't know that I can believe that this Bible is the first time God spoke to humanity if Africans were the first ones on earth. Hmm. So it's, it, it became, it started with ethnicity and race. And seeing the the breakdown and the disconnect Mm. between what you were teaching me and how you were living and how you expected me to assimilate into this culture of whiteness and evangelicalism and really asking me to ignore that I am a black African woman, Mm. right? Mm. Comments about my hair. I mean, it just goes on and on, Mm. right? Yeah. Um, It was just so many things, but I had to get off the coattails and God started showing herself to me as a Black woman to get me to step into my own divinity. That's how that began. So, mm. had to get off of it.
0: Now, this is fascinating. And, you know, I know we're going to get into your your work in a minute here, but I, I want to unpack this because this is kind of some, for me, maybe maybe a newer framework that I'm not super familiar with. So I looked up, as you were talking, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe, it looks cool. like he wrote a, us a lot of quite a few different books, uh, Kingdom Principles, The Kingdom of Cults, and some others. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a, the kingdom of practical life, a practical theology of discipleship and spiritual formation. Who is Dr. Miles Monroe and, and what did he, what was kind of his teaching that, that, that drew you to him?
1: Dr. Miles Monroe, he's now transitioned, unfortunately, tragically passed away mm, um, in okay. a plane crash, but he was and is a, a man, a pastor from um, the Bahamas. And he taught on the kingdom, not so much of faith, but he was very prolific in, in the rules and the laws and the government of the kingdom of God, not affirming at all. Um, but mm. he was really able to communicate because the Bahamas was a territory of the British people. And so he was able to really understand when God was speaking about the kingdom coming and having an effect and him seeing that in the Bahamas as a black man in the heat, they're walking around wearing suits. That's not their culture, mm. but that is the kingdom of England coming in and imposing. And so he was able to really help you see their, the, the intention of Jesus coming into the world and what Jesus was saying that the kingdom of heaven looks different. You Mm -hmm. may be a citizen of this world and yeah, you're an American, but first you're a kingdom citizen and you have rule and you have dominion. So it was really about giving you control back of who you are as someone who's made in the image of God. And so Mm -hmm. that was very instrumental for me at Mm the season of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Of being in a place where I didn't feel like I had any control and really understanding that Jesus didn't just come to save me. To go to church or go to heaven or be really nice and go on mission trips and try to impose my religion on people. That's not why Jesus came and died, not because so much of getting rid of sin, but of giving me back power to say, here, come back into the fold, come back into your authority. Now let's rule and let's take control for good. Let's like, let's spread love in the world Hmm. um, in a way that's impactful that people aren't needing. You to go to their African or Indian village or their South American village to save them, <laughs> right? Like you are going in there to remind them who they are, and that's really and still is today part of my message and what I do.
0: This is very interesting for me because I'm sure you follow a lot of our work or you've seen some of our stuff, yes. and you know that obviously we're very, mm-hmm. very critical of. of- Christian nationalism yeah. through the white evangelical lens, right? And so when I yeah. hear certain words, I go, wait a <laughs> second, I don't know, Dominion. You know, I have a definition, but and correct me if yeah. I'm wrong here. What uh-huh. I'm hearing you say is that is that is that is that where you were in your life, these teachings helped you almost reclaim uh your ability to to live and exist and have a level of control and autonomy over your own life that wasn't mm-hmm. being stamped out by perhaps white evangelical spaces. Uh and, and, and again, I'm just I'm just giving you what I heard. And hopefully I'm understanding uh-huh. correctly, but uh-huh. it sounds like, too, what you're saying is, as opposed to what a lot of us would think of when we hear Christian nationalism, you know, going to conquer and colonize, it's a way of reminding people that you already are enough, so to speak, or you already uh-huh. stamped with the image of God in your cultural moment, in your context, so how do we help you flourish that way? Is that more the perspective compared to how I think of how Christian <laughs> nationalism, or even the term dominionism, right, of like, we yeah. have to reclaim the culture and make it godly again, so to speak? Is that, is that kind of a different here
1: there's a difference because christian nationalism and their dominion is about having dominion over people that's not the dominion Mm. that i learned from miles monroe and his teaching it was dominion in the spirit world Hmm. right as a spiritual being you're Mm. not under you're not you're not under the um I'm gonna, cause I was just studying this today. You're not back in the yoke of slavery of the elements of the world where sickness has to have dominion over you, where you need to go to a doctor to get healed, or you need to go to this certain human being to receive something, maybe knowledge or whatever that you have not only direct access to God, but in your Godhood, you are above all of the angels, all of the whoever, even including the devil. The devil does not have rule over you. Mm-hmm. So it's not about having dominion um, in the sense that I'm coming in to conquer someone's land to make them better because something's wrong with them. Gotcha. That's not how I understand it. That's how I understand Christian nationalism. But right. so that's not how I understand the kingdom principle of me being someone who is made in the image of God. Who is here? Because the kingdom, if God is love, the foundation of the kingdom is love. So, how do I spread the kingdom? Is by stepping into that love and seeing what unconditional love looks like. Which for me looks like calling people higher up into who they really are. Yeah, that you are. You're divine as you are. That's mm. powerful. That's different. Mm, from yeah, definitely different. The missionaries, yeah. yeah no, for sure, out.
0: for sure. I mean, you know, in my tradition, it was you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you have to pray mm-hmm. this prayer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, okay, that that's helpful. Um, You know, you also, I just want to clarify. You made a comment, and I'm I'm assuming that I'm I'm you know I'm going to fill in the blanks here. Tell you if I, if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you you believe in going to doctors if you're sick, though, right? Like if you're not feeling well, you should go to the hospital to feel better. Is that what, uh, or no? no? No.
1: I think I don't take medicine. Don't take medicine. Um I believe in the power of my words. And so I've many a times healed myself from different things. And mm. so because I have the evidence of it in my life, mm. um, that is part of me having dominion over my body, that when I say something, my body will line up to what I say. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. So um I don't have anything against going to the doctor. If that's where you are, please do, right? Mm. I'm not like this is the best way to do it. Absolutely not. This is what works for you. I don't mm. like doctors. And so I don't like taking medicine. That traumatic event that I had um, mm. in my mid 20s came from me taking medicine. Mm. So it's not been a good experience for me. I understand. Um, so, and then growing up in Africa, in Liberia, obviously we had doctors, but not as immediate access. And so we are more in depth with the supernatural of mm. praying for things to be supernaturally done for you when mm. it comes to healing and all of those different things. Like mm. my grandma, my grandmother in the village with the 400 kids, she had to pray over those kids for them to get healed. It wasn't like, let me put you in an ambulance and take you to a doctor. Where's the doctor, right? Mm. In the city, we don't have time for that, mm. right? We make you a little, little concoction. You can go ahead, drink that, right? And let's pray over you and you're fine, you're good. So that is um, part of how I live my life personally. Hmm. When I deal with my own personal life, that is not me telling anybody how to do <laughs> what they need to do, okay? Please do not hear me saying that. <laughs> no, that, that, and I, I appreciate
0: you clarifying because. You know, I'm just thinking about first off me and and my experience not in Liberia, right? But just on uh, in this particular evangelical culture, Uh, and then I'm thinking about maybe some of the audience who's been a part of uh, circles that you know would not only say for them they prefer this way, but say also for you, you must also now not do it this way either, or else you're not a true Christian or something. So it's helpful to hear you just clarify and also kind of get some context of like, hey, like you know, the way that I grew up, and also. So this experience I had that was traumatic shaped how I viewed this issue. So I appreciate you exactly. clarifying that. So why don't we move in now to your actual work? So, you know, yeah. you're, you're a sexuality coach. Is that a fair thing to say?
1: That is a fair thing to say. How did you I'm end not up? I'm a sex coach, which we need to be very clear about. Okay. get confused. <laughs> okay. I'm a sexuality coach. So when it comes to orientation um, and how you relate to other people and yourself. So, yes.
0: Okay. Fair. Um, how did you get into this line of work where you, you, you know, I'm assuming you do this work full time where you're helping the queer community and queer Christians make peace Mm -hmm. with their faith and sexuality?
1: So it really came again from my own personal experience. Mm. So at at the age of 13, I knew that I liked girls, but my sister told me I couldn't like both. And so Mm. I, I said, okay. Um, 19 had my first relationship with a woman from New Orleans when after Katrina happened all the flood of people came and I met my first lesbian and it wasn't what the church said she would be she wasn't scary she was the nicest person <laughs> she was yeah. funny we had a great time and I fell in love with that person and we were at the time both struggling with our faith and so that relationship succumbed to that struggle and In that process of me going through me recommitting myself to God because of that traumatic experience I had, what I understood about God at the time was that I couldn't be gay, that people who were gay were going to hell, Um, and I had to stop having sex with everybody and had to wait and pray for my husband, and so I did that for six or seven years, right? Went Mm -hmm. celibate and and did the whole thing, get to Bible college, still doing the whole thing, and then I fall in love with a woman. And I'm looking at God, wondering what happened. I'm filled with the spirit. I pray for people, they are healed. I prophesy over people. These things come to pass. Obviously you're in here with me. So something of what they're telling me can't be true that the spirit of homosexuality and your spirit can't coexist. Hmm. So somebody's lying and I don't know who it is, but until I find out, I'm just gonna go live my life. Hmm. And I know you got me, we'll figure this out on the way. right? And so in that process, all of the, I'm going to say lies now, that were told to me about the spirit of homosexuality, what they call the quote unquote, and how people become gay, lesbian, all of those things, God began to show me wasn't true. And so I ended up meeting a a young lady who didn't have any of the markers. They said that you needed to have to be gay, which I had all of them. I was sexually abused as a child. I didn't have a mother in the home that was consistent, that I could trust, right? Very promiscuous. So maybe I opened the door. Maybe that's Mm. why I am this way that I am, right? Mm. And I met someone who didn't have all of that. Parents are still married, was a virgin when I met this person and was full on gay, lesbian, was the first, I'm the first person they came out to. And so that was very confronting for me and what they told me to believe and that I believe at that time, I didn't believe you went to hell anymore um, for being gay, but I believe that God's perfect design was for you to be straight. And so throughout all of this process, my relationship with that person, which became romantic, God showed up in ways for both of us that we didn't even know was even possible, right? She never really could hear God. And now we're in this relationship and she's hearing God so clearly. Hmm. So now all of the, the stereotypes that they tell us about people who are gay are being completely destroyed mm. and we're in this thing together trying to figure out what's going on and so I begin to pursue God seriously about what's happening here because to be honest uh in my early 20s God called me to do the work I'm doing now but at that time I thought God was calling me to tell gay people they're going to hell unless they return to him mm. and I didn't want to do that because that was my family yeah. I didn't want to go tell my family now. I, I know God and so I'm going to go tell my family you're wrong. Like, don't be a weirdo. I don't want to be that person. So I said, no. So now fast forward 10 years later in my mid thirties, early thirties, and God's shown me all of these things. And it's being revealed to me through conversations with God that I'm having that God's called me to this thing. And God was the one who said to me, when are you going to accept yourself? Like, I've, you, I've made you clear. This is your superpower it's time for you to step into this. And so I had at that time left the ministry, left my position and needed to just get away. And I was at the time actually coaching moms of teenage girls to have the sex talk with them, Christian moms hmm. on how to approach this conversation. When God said, this is not it. sweetheart. you, you're like, you're, you're uh who is it? Jonah, you're in the wrong boat, <laughs> going in the wrong, in the wrong direction. Right. Yeah. This is what I've actually called you to do. And so. I boldly just stepped out and got got what little bit of backlash people were to send my way from that community that I came out of. But the beautiful thing was they couldn't say much to me because they had already seen the evidence of God in my life. So there was no way that I missed it. So it was now confronting for them because somewhere, somehow you've gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. So she did. Right. Like you've seen her life. You know that she knows God. You know that she hears God. This is not a demon in the way that you would think it is. So what's mm. going on? So it's been very rewarding and amazing to do, to do this work and traumatizing at times um, with my clients and the news and all the things that happened, but I would not, I would, I would lay my life and I have laid my life down for this work mm. and not ever going to stop.
0: Um. Who would you say, you know, people who find you, is there—is there, is there um, some common themes or threads that kind of get them to you where they're just like, I'm struggling with my faith and my sexuality, and you see like, like common themes of their backstory? Um, and if so, what would some of those things be?
1: One of the biggest ones is someone who grew up Catholic. Catholic. (laughs) The Catholic church did a number on people. Um, Mm. So I have a good amount of my clients that are Catholic, but the common theme that I see with the Protestant, the evangelicals are people who really still do believe that we're going to hell Mm. and are really struggling, even though they can come to it logically in their mind and say, yeah, it makes sense. God's loving. God loves me. But when you grow up with this, and this is in your subconscious, that something's wrong with you, and maybe it's okay to have the feelings, but now something that's also very prominent in my clients is that they're in a relationship, and they're ready to take it to the next level. So it's like, oh my gosh, if I actually go ahead and marry this person, I'm really living in sin, Mm. and I'm really choosing this thing over God, because now I'm committing to this person and to the rest of the world that this is who I am. And so that's very scary um, for people. And it's common too for me because that's where I was in my situation. Like, wait a minute now, if I choose this person, I can't hide that anymore. So what do I do? What do I do with that? And so that's very common with the people that I talk to on the phones and my clients that I, I talk to as well.
0: Um, You wrote, it says on your website, new book, five steps to come out to conservative family, which is like, (laughs) did you write this for our community? (laughs) Because holy smokes, um, you know we get this question often, even in 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 other contexts of like, how to survive the holidays with family who doesn't Uh think that Black Lives Matter. Right? I mean, Uh honest things that we get, but but queer folks who are wrestling through coming out publicly maybe with someone or or just by themselves you know i know because they talk to me about this they really struggle with 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 how they have this conversation with family members who you know have these beliefs that are incredibly harmful Uh, obviously i'm not going to ask you to go through the book step by step but what what are some of the core principles here that you'd recommend to people who are listening and saying that's me what the hell do i do because i just feel so torn
1: yeah. So the first thing that I really emphasize on is that we are queer Christians. And so we want to lean on the Christian part of it. And I know that can be a trigger word now for people, but just sure. someone who believes in God and believes that God is love. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To really lean in on that. And so to really step into and this is calling them higher. This is not easy. Right. It's like, you know, it's easier to get angry. Yes. Um. But to really step into loving those people and going in without expectation and without needing anything from them because if i go in with my family conversations and i've done this in my own family if i'm needing them to be something for me to feel validated in my identity i'm always going to be disappointed so if i'm full that's why i really harp on relationship with god if i'm full there I don't need you to add anything to me because I'm already full. So I can go in and have conversation with you without needing your answer to be something for me to be okay. And if your answer to queer people don't matter and they shouldn't be alive, I mean, we'll have a different conversation if that's what you say. Hmm. But if you're generally, your politics is this is not okay. Gay people shouldn't be married. I can respond to you without being triggered in the sense of now I'm on a a downward spiral in my emotions because I needed you to affirm me for me to be okay. Versus I can go in, I love you and I forgive you before you say anything out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna show you the love that I'm hoping that you give me, but I don't need you to give it to me. I'm gonna show it to you. I'm gonna come and be unconditional love. And what I'm not gonna do also is be on the defensive. I'm gonna come in curious about why you believe what you believe, which is just, doing what a coach does, which is asking questions.
0: Mm-hmm. So instead
1: of me being put on the hot seat where everyone's asking me questions, and now I have to be the, and black people go through this too, where I have to be the voice of the whole community. Yes. That's not, that's not my job. I'm me in my skin and my experience. But I'm curious about why you think what you think. And so I'm going to put you in the in the seat to answer the questions and not me. So there's a little bit of a role reversal that happens. And if you really want to anchor this somewhere, if you think about Jesus, when the disciples were asking Jesus questions, Jesus returned with questions because Jesus needs you to know where you're coming from because Jesus already knows Hmm. right, where you are, but you don't know where you are. So as a family member who's like, I don't believe gay marriage is biblical, how how many scriptures have you read about that? Or did you hear that from church? Oh, did you read it personally and then check? Blue letter, do you know what that arsenic or time means? Have you done mm-hmm. research on that? Mm-hmm. Right? Just those simple questions. Now automatically I'm not in defensive mode with you anymore. I'm really curious about have you even studied this thing or you're just blurting this out? And if you are just blurting, regurgitating words to me right now that are not coming from your actual own research, I have an option at that time to create a boundary with you because either this is not a relationship I'm gonna continue to invest in or my mental health and my, my stability right now, I'm being triggered and I need to remove myself from the situation. But the first thing is to come in full. Come in full of love. You're not lacking any love. You're not missing anything. These people have been added to you in your community. Thank God for them. And you're going in to give. I'm going to go give love. I'm going to go give peace. I'm going to go give these things. For whatever reason, there's always been a stigma around mental health in our communities. Some people say that talking about your feelings makes you weak. But you know what? It doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. No matter what you're struggling with, you can call or text 988-LIFELINE to connect with a trained crisis counselor and get the resources and support you need. No judgment, no stigma, just hope. Text or call 988-SUICIDE-AND-CRISIS-LIFELINE day or night. 988-HOPE-HAS-A-NEW-NUMBER. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family.
0: Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. You know, I got to be honest with you, Yema. Um, You blow away all my categories in in (laughs) the best way. Because, you know, it's funny going from... Growing up in like fundamentalist evangelicalism, you know, you know, the Bible's inerrant and I have this absolute truth and experiencing like different flavors. You know, I was part of charismatic circles. I was part of fundamentalist mm-hmm. circles, you know, and then you kind of go through like this deconstruction thing and then you kind of think like, okay, um, you know, here's how kind of like things fall in general. And then I meet someone like you who's like, hey, relationship with God is really key, is really important, and also like, hell yeah, I'm a 100,000% queer affirming, because it's, it's it's you know, because you're divine, and I'm like, wow, these are just like, these are two statements in my head that live in different camps, right, in uh-huh. my head, uh, I'm not saying that that's a reality, but in my head, they live in different parts of the Christian tradition, one I think I walked away from, and one I'm embracing, and you're like, well, it's, it can still be both and, like, we can still say, relationship with God's important, we can still say that, man, what. If God still supernaturally heals, but also we can say that we are queer affirming and that we can help people reconcile their faith and their sexuality. So I, I gotta be honest, like, I, I appreciate this conversation because. It 's a good gut check, I think, on a personal yeah. level of like you can fall into traps again of like, well, this is just how it parses out, you know, mm-hmm. and I think some people listening might have that sense too where it 's like uh, uh, you know on one hand, I'm like, yes, on the other hand i 'm like i don't know how I feel about, about, about the whole relationship with God thing again and you're like, why, like why not, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that because we need to be able to hold space for people and recognize that no matter where we land. There's always going to be a world outside of our own little bubbles that can that can mm-hmm. exist faithfully and healthy, uh, and sh- and still challenge our preconceived notions. Even when we think, you know, oh, well, I've deconstructed that, right? So mm-hmm. I just want to put that little caveat in there. I really appreciate this perspective because it is reminding me uh, to remain, you know, open and curious, uh, and-, and to see things that can still what I thought couldn't be combined, you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. actually, how about yes to both of this? I'm like, damn it. I think you're right. I think there's some good stuff here. So that, this is really helpful. And again, I appreciate you sharing this all with me. Um, as, as far as like, I know you said that you're right now you're in Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that where you live? You're in Mexico. Mm Okay. I'm sure you keep up with with the the climate um you know in America and, and the political climate and you see what's happening um, you know, what are your thoughts? Um we're recording this on a Tuesday uh, a couple of days after uh, a mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado, uh, in Colorado Springs, which should be mentioned. And as of now, there's no official motive behind why this mm-hmm. happened, although it is being investigated as a hate uh, investigated as a hate crime, and I don't think it's a it's a big stretch to look at at the political climate in America and to see where some of this stuff can lead to like at Club mm-hmm. Q. You know, I'm curious as a coach do you do you feel like you meet a lot of clients who are really affected by so much of the propaganda and the dehumanization of the queer community by, you know, um specific media talking points and the evangelical church? Or do you or do you see that most of your clients have have learned to kind of tune that out and are just kind of focused on themselves and, and their own healing?
1: I would say the latter, which is very it has been very surprising for me because I'm so plugged in. And so yeah. usually it's me bringing them the news and they're like, oh, I didn't even hear that. I don't know. I didn't know that was happening, right? So that's been shocking for me. I have one um, past client who's very radical about what she believes in in politics and all of that. But the majority of them have blocked it out in a sense. And so what, it's not so much the political climate that they're dealing with, is really what they have experienced past tense in their local church. That they're still trying to heal from, mm. and so they've managed to not invest in all of that. Now the things like the mass shooting and all of that, where we can't escape it, I'm sure yeah. they're aware. And when I speak to them this week, we'll be leaving space for us to have conversations about how they're processing that. Um, but the the motives of a person like that, and I'll show sure you. We're going to get into that. Is is complex um from where that it's easy for me to say it's hate from where that's coming from um but we know the root of hate is fear Mm. and so it's just but I'm sure we're going to get into that but for to answer your question most of my clients have found a way to block this block this out and not invest in what the politics are saying about queer people
0: I mean, that is helpful to hear in your experience because frankly, you know, i I track this stuff because I, 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 have to, um, and you know, the language coming out of these spaces is really incredibly, um, dehumanizing and it's, it does, I think so much damage ultimately, but it also makes sense that folks in that community are like, listen, I've, I've experienced, you know, this kind of, uh, firsthand at my church and mm-hmm. I can't expose myself to this stuff again to live you know mm-hmm. a successful and happy life without you know right. being constantly re-traumatized but you're right it does seem like whenever a mass shooting happens especially when that's targeted towards a certain community in this case the queer community i mean at that point it is totally inescapable to not see what just happened, especially considering I'm under the impression—I'm and I'm not sure how much you know about this—but Club Q was for a long time the only gay bar in Colorado Springs. I think there's a few others now, but it's still very much like like, like the main spot where people uh, in that community really call it the, a safe space for them to be who they are, to meet other folks who are in that community, and, and to and to have their time together. Um, so that makes these things unavoidable, and how people have it almost forces people who don't who say, I've I've been traumatized enough, almost get re-traumatized now, and people are actually losing their lives in the process of this.
1: Yes. Um, As you heard earlier, I I lived in Colorado Springs for almost 10 years. Mm. And so when I was in my deconstruction process and in starting relationship with that young lady, that was one of our first dates where we got a chance to dance on the dance floor together amongst people who wouldn't, you know, Side-eye us or judge us or say, you know, awful things about us. And it was um a freeing time for me. And so for as far as I know, Club Q is still the only queer place um in Colorado Springs. There's a couple of other bars that the community hangs out at, but specifically, Club Q is the spot that everybody knows is the gay club in Colorado Springs. Mm. Um so it's still very much a hub. And You're right, it is, even for me, um, processing the emotions, didn't even know what was weighing me down until I went on to share uh, with my audience. And the tears, I couldn't really stop them from coming because I could just feel such immense sadness um, for those people and for our community. And looking at Derek, I'm like, why does this person look familiar? And I'm pretty sure when I went there, it was Derek that served me my drinks at the bar. And so it was, it's just so close to home and I couldn't be there um, because it's right down the street from where I live. I used to live and would have been there with that community and working with them and helping them. So it's just, it's re-traumatizing because it's a reminder that the evangelical church and their message is violent against our community. And there are people who, At the very top, it's about power, it's about control, it's about money. It's always going to be about money. But when it trickles down to the people who don't have exposure to other cultures and other people, and their only exposure to the outside world, really, is what these you know, white men and women are up at the top, saying that they should believe. And because of this nationalism, and that being their only identity, there's a fear and a need to protect. And so they go into this mode, and now we... Become the other. And now they're in, they're in this um, in a battle with us that we never signed up for because they're trying to protect what's theirs and because they don't even know who they are. And so when it all trickles down, um, Africans have a saying when elephants fight is the grass that suffers. And so as uh. our communities are being hurt with these mass shootings from people who have no idea what the people at the top are having conversations about and they're just trying to protect what they don't even know they're trying to protect. Um, they hurt, they hurt and they harm and they kill. And it's, it's just really, it's saying it's sad makes it sound too, it's like a, it's not enough to say that it's sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, um, I also struggle for the words, I think, to describe like what, what how do you describe what happened? You know, I, I don't feel like there's any word that's fully sufficient, uh, you know, hell on earth, you know, I mean, people talk yeah. about, you know, um, experiencing hell. And I think that that is one of those where you're just like, yeah, this is what, this is what that looks like. Um, and the the ripple effect is it's unconscionable. I mean, you know, people lost family members, they lost sons, they lost daughters. Um, it's, it's tragic. And you know, I, I I um I did a reel on this, and I, I said, you know, if you're a non-affirming evangelical, like just save your thoughts and prayers. You know, I said just just save them. And people, a few, many appreciated the sentiment. A few, not surprisingly, who were evangelical. Are you telling me I can't, you know, choose who I pray for, et cetera? And I realized that and you're talking to someone who grew up deeply embedded in these spaces, who believed the theology, who, you know, really was all in, um, committed to Jesus. And I would argue is still committed to to Jesus, but kind of maybe lost the white Jesus thing or is losing it, I should say. I still have plenty of work of of, of ways to go. But I I don't think that evangelicals in those spaces understand, um, like, even their own history – I don't think they understand like how, for a long time, evangelical culture has been waging war on this community uh, and actually killing them or dehumanizing them or leading them to suffer immense emotional distress uh, and mental health crises. Um, I'm thinking about how they handled the AIDS crisis uh, all the way up to Jerry Falwell Jr. or Jerry Falwell Sr. blaming literally 9-11 on the queer community and the quote-unquote liberal agenda. And it is frustrating, and I would like maybe if you're willing to – if you have the for this question. Great. If not, I understand. But one thing I'm wondering is, it seems like in my experience, the evangelical culture is really good at conveniently being collective when, when it sounds good. Hey, we're one church, we're one movement, one faith, one baptism. But then when, when they want to... Then when people try to hold them accountable for the harm that they've committed, then all of a sudden it switches to, well, that's not me. I never said that. Uh, That's not my church. That's not my pastor. And it really creates this like ultimate scenario where – they take all of, all of the credit for how good things are and how unified they are and how big their worship events are because one church. But you know when things like this happen, they don't have the ability to say, "Well, maybe our rhetoric for decades and our and the stuff coming from from churches and leaders in these institutions is contributing to this 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 violence." What are your thoughts on that? Like, like when you were in that, did you kind of see the same thing, or is that a different a different vibe for you in your experience?
1: when i was in that culture it was very easy to blame the devil Hmm. right so we're preaching a good message we're preaching um that this is how god designed it and the best way for you to live is in a heterosexual as the sex you were born in we're just trying to help you live according to god's design once you're in god's design all of these good things happen to you yeah but There are bad things that happen to you when you go and choose these other ways. And not we're not saying that we're gonna cause those things to happen to you, but we're saying once you choose those other ways, you're opening the door to all sorts of evils. And this is one of the evils. This is Satan. We didn't send that guy to kill anybody. We don't know him personally. This is the devil. So it's not so much like, well, it's not our church, right? It's not our church saying it, because I still think collectively they believe the message that. Heterosexuality is is the gospel, right? That's the original design. That's what God wanted. And they're all saying the same thing. And when bad things happen, because they have an enemy, we all have an enemy. And so, since we all have an enemy, it's the devil. And so, it's very conveniently given to the devil. And there's never a need to self assess to say, what am I saying? What am I doing? Who am I voting for? How does this actually affect people in real life? There's none of that, mm. right? And even I would say not just being queer, but even with race, right? It's the yes. same thing, right? When mass shooters happen and people are dying, and a, a black man, a black person is killed by the cops, right? There's a the, the rhetoric is there's a real devil out here, mm. right? It's not us; it's the devil. What are we going to do? We can't constrain the devil. What we can do is help you to live a holy life so that you have the devil has less access to you. Mm. Right. And so, from my experience and what I've witnessed, any identity, the further away you get from white and male, the more attacked and the more demonized you are. And it makes me, it hurts my heart because the trans woman. Is the farthest away you can get from a white man. And they, right, a black trans woman, are the most harmed. Hmm. And so, because there's no awareness in the church of identity, of race, right? Because, well, I wake up and I'm just him. I wake up and I'm just him. I don't see race, right? Right. I don't see color. And I just love Jesus. I don't see color. I just love Jesus. I don't, i I was born heterosexual. You have a sin that you have to work with, but we're here to pray with you. Right. And so because there's no awareness of identity and owning of it, it's very easy to say that the devil is attacking you and not want to see your community and not want to align with you as a human who's being attacked because there's other humans creating problems. There, there is just, there's no connection for them. Um, and even when I was working in HR and all of the racial justice um, injustices, I should say, started happening, it was very difficult for the leadership to understand why Black people were so mad. Um, and one of, one of our leaders pulled me in to person, which I appreciate it, because he generally wanted to understand what's, what's the problem? Why are you so upset? Why is this a thing that the church should be upset about? Right. And I had to explain what it means to be a black person. Right. And how, how I interact with the world versus how they interact. And so now just imagine with people who are in the church with limited exposure to queer people. Yeah. They don't have that conversation. And if they have them in their family, they're not having that genuine question of what is it like for you to interact with the world? Right. In our political society in America right now. They have no idea because what's interesting that I think we need to understand. In the world of like things like Twitter or our yeah. social media, there are two different, three, four, how many ever different worlds that we live in, but whatever you see in front of you is something that's going to align with what you believe, right? And it's the same thing in the church. There's an echo chamber happening with these people, and the conversations you and I are having, maybe very rarely, they're going to be able to hear or have access or even want to hear it, right? And so it's almost like we're talking to the choir. And we're all saying, yes, 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 to each other. And then they're in their camp because I've been there in their camp. Yeah, and they're so. all saying, yes, 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 to, to each other. Yeah. When do we start having the conversation? When do we start to sit together and have the conversation? I don't have a clue. Co- I don't have an answer for that. Well, you know,
0: my best guess is someone who um, has the name, the New Evangelicals, and has conversations behind, you know, privately with folks who maybe are still in the spaces. I think there are some who are truly open to trying to understand, but Mm -hmm. I think that the culture in general is so steeped in its own fundamentalism and sense of we have an objective truth about God that no one else has, and therefore – whatever's outside of our purview is not of God. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm kind of condensing it, but that's the idea. And that, mm-hmm. that translates beyond a charismatic space or a reform space. I mean, this is like a more universal evangelical tenant. I've experienced being mm-hmm. in both of those spaces for a lot of years. Um, and when that happens, I believe that is a dogma versus data conversation. Like, hey, no matter how Mm -hmm. much data or evidence or experience or whatever or whatever you know uh, evidence Mm -hmm. that you give me, this does not compute with the dogma of this belief system, and therefore Mm -hmm. I will choose faith over fear. I will choose you know faith over over your experience. And I think until we can break through that and help people realize that, hey, in my opinion, this is just me speaking, but we see Mm -hmm. the conservative American evangelical church as kind of the basement of Christian thinking. you Mm And so we can help people realize, like, actually, you're sitting above a massive Christian house with rooms that Yema exists in and that Tim exists in and that James Cone exists in, et et cetera, Mm -hmm. right? Until Mm -hmm. we have those discussions and they can realize – that, that their particular stream of Christian thinking is a very narrow and new stream in the Christian tradition historically. Yeah. I don't know how we move forward because that seems to be kind of the – the the walls that I get to. I mean, I'll have I do audio messages all the time at Insta, on Instagram, and I'll yeah. talk to people who will, hey, I don't agree with you on this or that, you know, but I have questions, and whatever I say, usually I'm like six degrees away from them coming back to, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible uh-huh. is clear, well, well, this this dogmatic point, and it's like, dude, if we we have such different views of, of even the Bible at this point, how do we have that conversation? But the good news. Is that I do think, and so I don't want the audience like, you know, in in, in despair (laughs) after this episode, but I think the good news is that there has always been people in any of these spaces who truly want to think critically and take their faith seriously. I was Mm -hmm. one of them. And Uh so I was convinced by people who were kind and persuading and and, and open to hearing me but also give me things to think about. So I am mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that we are passing that on, you know, as we go along. Yeah. But it's a very slow and arduous and I think frustrating process, frankly. It, it, it can be at times for me. Where I'm like, how do you not see it? But of course that was me seven years ago, right? Uh right. you know, I, I didn't understand um you know the racial inequity in our society. I was just brought up on Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. You know, right wing talking heads, and hey, just work harder, just get a better job. You know, like mm-hmm. and and the conversation that 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 was the first seed that made me really go okay, something is wrong, was my roommate who was a, a, a black man. And I we were good friends. I mean, close. And we we're just talking one day over a cup of coffee. And he just shares with me how he's been pulled over like many times for no reason. He's like, yeah, you know, I've been pulled over because, you know, this – I'm like, wait, you've been pulled over for, over for that? Like I, I've done that before. I've never been pulled mm-hmm. over that way ever. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's because I'm black. And I'm like, what? And that was the first moment where I went, oh, my yeah. experience is not normative for a lot of people in America. And right. that seed took some time to plant and to get watered. But that was the first moment where I really thought, mm-hmm. oh, maybe mm-hmm. it's not all how I think it is, you know? Right. So those stories hopefully will continue to persuade people to, to start thinking beyond their own mm-hmm. dogma or just, this is just how the world is. And if you assimilate, right. your world's gonna be fine, you know? So that's, that's my answer to your question in a long winded <laughs> way. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, okay. So a couple of last things as we wrap up. And again, I appreciate making time for me and and just uh, simultaneously blowing my categories, giving me, I think the (laughs) audience, some great things to think about regarding how we approach people who are Mm -hmm. conservative, especially if someone is queer and wants to come out to their family. And I appreciate um, your your insight too. Um, One of my questions is how do you think – you know there are people like myself who are just trying to do our best right i mean i, I see this work as kind of my, my my repentance like i'm just trying to go from one to the other of just like i was in this space i was complicit without knowing it and i'm trying to be like i don't use the term ally that's not my term to give but i'm trying to be someone who comes alongside right how can folks you know who are are rethinking this stuff who maybe are not queer but are really like humbled and and maybe even repentant of, of their own complicity, how can they continue to become uh, better partners and friends of the queer community? How can we advocate for that community in healthy ways, uh, in your experience and in, in, in your expertise?
1: I love that question. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm just going to speak from my heart, is people need to get to know who they are um, personally. Hmm. Because you helping me from a place of ignorance of yourself isn't really helping me Mm. right because if you're coming and you're wanting to ally or to advocate and to support from this very surface level of like a tint of maybe guilt and you know and you're repentant and i'm not i'm like you're 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 doing again what the missionaries did you're coming in Yeah. yeah and you're trying to help from a weird Place mm. that's not really, off- I wouldn't say authentic because it might feel authentic to you. Yeah. But it's not really a true whole place. Like, I want you to come and be a friend, mm. right? Like, see me as a person, mm. not as I'm going to go advocate for this person because they're queer, right? Yeah. That's just personal relationship and advocacy. Please vote correctly. (laughs) I shouldn't say correctly. Uh, Please vote laws and vote for people who are for human rights. Mm -hmm. And that includes all humans, right? And so in that political space, in the broader sense, you know, do your research on who you're voting for. But in the personal space, like you want to come talk to me about sexuality and you don't even really aren't clear on what God meant by sexuality, you don't have a definition of sexuality, do your research. Right. And don't come to me to um, have the answers for you because I don't. I only have the answers for me and where I've been. Right. I tell people who come in my inbox and say these things to me that the evidence of desire is pursued. So if you really want to be an advocate and you really want to be here for us, there's Google. Do your research, Mm. right? Find it out just like I had to retrain and relearn all of these things and just to be myself, right? You go do that work too. And then come and let's have a conversation. So, step one, who are you? Look in the mirror, get clear on who that is, right? Mm. Come with that purity of like, hey, I'm in the process of knowing me too. Well, hey, I am too, right? (laughs) Let's get to know each other together Mm. and have it be more about our shared divinity and humanity and then vote where you see that happening
0: okay i love it that's great where can folks find you i mean you're obviously on instagram i believe that that's where i first ran into you uh where else plug away
1: so coach Yema on all the platforms, but I spend most of my time on Instagram. So come slide in my DMs. It is me in there. I'm the one having the conversations with everyone. Um, and you can go to my website, yema.com, uh y-e-a-m-a-h dot com and get to know all of the um the work that I do. And if you're interested in working with me, that's how you can find me as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Coach Yama, it was a pleasure to have you on to share your wisdom, experience, and expertise with our community. Thank you for making time. And I'm sure we'll do it again because I have a lot more questions about a lot more things as you were talking, <laughs> I but I had to stay focused, you know? <laughs> we'll do it again. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.